Well, yes, my name is Austin Bailey, and it is uh, my privilege uh, to be your pastor. And my hope and prayer as we journey together that we live fully into this, that as a people here at Pine Lake Covenant Church, people as disciples of Jesus, that we see God's kingdom come here in Sammamish as it is in heaven. One of the things that um, I love and we get to know and learn about each other is I love Peter Pan. Uh, we went dressed up as Halloween when Ellie, our firstborn, was a little girl, and she was Tinkerbell, probably the sweetest little Tinkerbell I've ever seen. And But I specifically liked the 1991 uh, movie called Hook. If you've ever seen it, Robin Williams uh, portrays uh, Peter Panning, who is a middle-aged man and lawyer who um, has been away from Neverland for a long time, but returns. And in that returning, he is learning to become who he's forgotten to be. And in there, there's a great moment where he has been there for a while, and he's sitting at a table with all of the lost boys. And this at this table is where they eat together, and as the lost boys are stuffing their face, Peter looks around, and he sees nothing but empty plates and empty bowls. And he is confused. But this time, him and Rufio, who's the leader of the lost boy while Peter's been gone, start this verbal sparring match. And as Peter begins to get deeper into his kidness and playfulness and begins to go back and forth with Rufio, he begins to teeter the balance of power. And as he teeters the balance of power, all of a sudden, they're chanting his name, and he sits down in triumph, takes the spoon, scoops it into the empty bowl, and he flings it in the direction of Rufio. And all of a sudden, this moment, Rufio pans into his face, and all of a sudden, there's multicolored, whipped cream-looking food all over his face, and then it turns back to this moment. Peter sees everything that has been invisible to him. And that moment changes and begins the process of becoming who he's forgotten to be. And this is a story for us. In this moment that we've been talking about the arrival of Jesus, that we've been waiting for Jesus to come, we need to remember who we've always been and created to be. That we need to look at a table where we sit down and it's not a plate of empty bowls and an invisible reality, but it has been made flesh. It has been made real to us. That we as followers of Jesus, when we come throughout the season, come on this side of Christmas, that Jesus has arrived in the form of a baby. Jesus, the word, has been made flesh. And so should our faith, that if we here at Pine Lake Covenant Church, starting this journey together, we want a people whose faith is made flesh. So let us turn in God's word together, whether you have it in person or digitally grab your phone. Uh, one of the things that we love to do is to turn to God's word, to look at it together, to center ourselves on God's word. And we're reading in John 1, just one verse, uh, verse 14. It's going to be here on the screen. And it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, who is full of grace and truth. 
And sometimes what I love in that translation that I see in different is he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And this word that talked about so, and the word became flesh, that word is what John starts with. To say that the word, who is Jesus, was the one at the beginning of all creation, was before time existed that he stood there, was one with God and was God. That the word became flesh, that this word, Jesus, was the one that spoke light out of his mouth and that began to push the darkness back in cross-creation. That this word, Jesus, is the one that forms you and I in our mother's womb. This word, Jesus, he is the one that knows the very amount of hair on our head. This Jesus, this word, is the one that knows all of our days that are written out in the book of life. This word, this Jesus, is the one who fills your lungs with life. To not only survive the day, but to thrive in the day. This word, Jesus, is the one who sees you in your darkest moment, in the places that you feel all alone, and walks next to you, sits down, and says, you are never alone. I have been made flesh. I am with you always to the end of the age. This Jesus, this word, is not just an idea. This God is not just an idea or a good thought. He is the one who has been made flesh. Like, that is an amazing thought. Think about this God who stood before all creation has been made flesh in the form of baby. Jesus, formed together like you and I in his mother's womb that came out fearfully and wonderfully made that this Jesus is made flesh among us. It reminds me of when Ashley came and told me that she was pregnant with our very first kid. I had always desired to be a husband, but also to be a father. I always wanted to be a really good dad and a really good husband. And this was the moment that everything was changing. And so for the next eight months, I dreamed of what it would look like to be a dad. The things that I would do with my child. The things that I would be like. The things that would form me. And then eight months later, surprisingly showed up in this little baby girl, Ellie. And everything that I had dared dream or imagine of what would I look like as a dad faded away. Because I looked at this baby. And I understood what I could never understand before that she was fearfully and wonderfully made, that this invisible in her mother's womb reality that I had not yet understood and seen, but only tried to comprehend, I fully understood when she was made flesh, when she appeared among me. It changed everything. It changed everything. Who I knew myself to be was forever changed. I was like Peter Pan who looked down and thought I knew what it looked like to be a dad, but now I see food when I saw empty vessels. I began to eyes wide open, understand finally what my father looks down from heaven and looks at me and sees and feels that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that she is fearfully and wonderfully made, and understood the links at which God went to to tell us. 
That is what it means for our faith to become flesh. That if we're followers of Jesus, we don't just like the idea of Jesus, but we like the actuality of Jesus being made flesh. That our faith is not just a really good idea that makes us feel warm, warm and fuzzy and comfortable inside in the places that we like to think and feel. But as followers, participators of Jesus, disciples, that we too, in our own faith, it becomes flesh. And this flesh moment is really important for us today. That when our faith is made flesh, that hope is no longer just an invisible reality to us. It is not an idea, but it is made flesh. That in besides the circumstance of what happens, that we believe that God works for the good of those who love him. That we will see his glory come in our lives because it's not just an invisible reality. It is something that we live and breathe every moment. That when our faith is made flesh, love isn't just a good idea that we share cognitively between human beings. That love is made flesh as we learn to put our hands and our feet and our mouth and our ears and our eyes to pursuing the people around us. That, that joy is not just an idea that we somehow try to figure out what it actually means. That is different than happiness. But when joy is not an idea but made flesh, we rely on the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not your good looks. Not your abilities. Not your characters. Not your savvy. But the joy of the Lord is the strength of which you live every day. And when we come to this truth, when we absolutely and actually change this feeling that faith is not just an idea that settles us, that we hope satisfies us and continues in us so that we can finally get to heaven to meet Jesus. That if we look at this text in John 1, chapter 14, and we say, if we really believe this is true, then it takes our faith from more than an idea, but into a reality. And that might be a challenge for some of us today. That when we look at our lives, when people look at our lives, I wonder, do they see our faith as more a mere idea or a reality that changes our very existence? That Jesus, the anticipation of a Messiah and a king to come, was different because he was made flesh. The idea was no longer an idea, but it was a reality. And what they thought that Jesus would be was blown out of the water by who he was. And I know this to be true because I read in his word that when the disciples got nearer and heard of this guy who called himself the king and the Messiah, when they went near and he said, follow me, their idea of who Jesus might be or thought that the king might be was blown away by the experience that they had with him. That when they saw the lame, the blind, the sick, and by a mere touch and spoken word, they were healed. When at the utterance that the person was dead, and that was the finality of all, that they walked with a Jesus who said, uh-uh, I am the beginning and the end. I am the life and the resurrection. To speak life and to see children and people raised from the dead. This is the Jesus that they got to experience, the Messiah King, that was far greater, that was made flesh than they ever dared dream or imagine. 
This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's to not have an idea of who he is or to follow Jesus, an idea of what faith looks like, but a reality of how it's lived out. And so what do we do if you actually believe this Jesus is who he says he is? And maybe you don't. Maybe you're here or you're online and I was like, I'm not 100% sure that this Jesus is who he says he is. I wonder what we would do. I wonder what would change us. I wonder what would transform us. I wonder what it would take for us to have this Peter Pan moment that looks and sees not empty vessels and empty bowls, but to see food that is to fulfill our bellies. In John 1, he goes on to say that if our faith is to be made flesh, it looks like two things. And these are the things that I feel like it needs to define us as well as apprentices after Jesus. Then it says that God, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and that they had seen that he was full of grace and truth, of unfailing love. If we are to be disciples of Jesus, apprentices that don't just have an idea of who he is, but we really live it out, we need to learn to be people that dwell and are seen. And I want to say like that dwelling and seen might be like a Christian words. And so let me like, things that have been ruminating in my head as I was like thinking about this is if you've seen Hamilton in the, um, you know, last two years, whether it's on Disney Plus, or if you've had the joy uh, to see it in person, there's a song that Barr sings. And he goes, I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I got to be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens, the room where it happens, to dwell. To means that our desire is to be in the room where life happens. That God could no longer stand apart, but sent his son to be in the room where life happens. Because when you were in the room with Jesus, you were where life existed from the very beginning. We got to be people that learn how to dwell with one another. And that might sound crazy in this time, but we have to learn how to dwell, how to be in the room where life happens, to see it where it exists outside of our lives and to be invited into those by others. But we have to be in the participation and the practice of inviting others to dwell in the room where our lives happen. Which means that maybe we need to open up our table because that's where life happens. Like in our house, <laughs> life happens at the table. It's chaotic. It's messy. It's great. It's fun. It might not all be perfect, but it is great. It is the place where short stories are told and shared, where vulnerabilities happen. Those are the places that we need to invite people in. Maybe to dwell, to invite people into the room where your life happens— Maybe you need to be people that invite them into celebrations, to parties, to gatherings, to invite people into the room where things happen. Maybe it is to dwell with one another, is to go on long walks, long enough to break down that silence, that small talk, to that really gets to the nitty gritty things that you need to share with one another. So maybe instead of going a half mile, you go a mile. Maybe if you need a mile, you go two miles. 
That to dwell with one another is to take it further than you believe because that is once you get in that place and process of dwelling, you allow the Spirit of the Lord to settle on this place. That Jesus didn't just give two-minute sermons. He said in eight, long enough for people to gather, not only in the room, but around the room to look in and say, ooh, I want to be there. To gather, to walk around, not in cars, but to physically walk. He was in a place long enough for them to get there. Maybe you need to invite people into your life or get in the process of being invited into people's life to be able to dwell among them. Maybe you need to invite somebody early in the morning or late at night over a drink to share the vulnerabilities, the things that you don't want to share with anybody else. Maybe you need that time. Maybe you need the drink. For me, it's morning. It's in the cu- a cup of coffee or it's late at night with, uh, at a local brewery where finally I can drink and sip and things start to feel a little bit easier to share. Or maybe it's to funerals. Maybe in the places of your weakness and your meekness and your vulnerabilities, you need to invite people into that room, into that space to share, to see where hope, joy, love, not only is an idea, but is made manifest. Because that's what happens. You can't get to the unfailing love and to the God, grace and truth and the faithfulness unless you dwell. Can you hear that? You cannot get to unfailing love and faithfulness unless you dwell. Unless you dwell long enough with people, earn the right in their lives to hear their stories, there's no way that you will be invited to share that unfailing love and faithfulness, that grace and truth. Because that's what happens. The disciples were around him long enough. Three years. And that's what that word seen means. It's more than just like, I see with my eyes. I see out there that somebody has a Honda Pilot, right? Some Hyundais. We got some Fords and Toyotas. It's more than that. It's that I've been around you long enough that I can find the consistency between of who you were yesterday and who you are today and who you are tomorrow. It's like me looking out there and finding out what car you drive and then following around to see if you're actually a good driver. And then I call your insurance and be like, actually, you need to like raise the rates on this person because it is terrible. You do not know who you are insuring right now. That's what it means to be people of faith made flesh is that when you dwell around long enough, you're able to see when people dwell with you long enough that they see the consistency that you are full of unfailing love, faithfulness, grace, and truth. And that is who we are going to be as a people here at Pine Lake. And I pray that is who we are as disciples, whether you go here or anywhere else, you're joining us online from uh, local or far away, that we are people who are full of unfailing love and faithfulness because the people around us, we don't claim to be, but others claim it for us. That was Jesus. Jesus made a lot of claims, but people made claims about him that approved his words to be true. Man, if that is not a word for us, that other people would affirm in their words what we say we believe to be true. Can I say that again? That just came. That just is a moment I think a word needs to hear for us. Is that the world around us wouldn't believe what we say because we say it is true. They'll believe it because what they see is true. Faith made flesh was not just seen in just the birth of my children. 
Let me tell you other couple places where I've seen it in my life, where faith actually made flesh. Because this is the point. It's not an idea. And I don't want you to walk away be like, hey, this was a good idea, but I had no concrete things to like talk about or to like change in my life. And this is where I'm going to use my own experience to say, this is what faith made flesh. And it's not by me. It's by others who have believed this to be true, that are disciples of Jesus and have proven that they are disciples of Jesus by how they are made flesh. It's when you move into a new state, to a new, a, a new call, where you know nobody. When you're overwhelmed by all the things and the people bring you food. Because the last thing you want to do is cook. And the last thing you want to do is go call and have to go pick it up and leave your house. So that when somebody has this idea of, man, Austin and Ashley might be overwhelmed. I should bring a food. That they don't say, oh man, that's a good idea, but I've got, you know, band and then soccer. I've got kid pickup. I've got homework. I've got job. I've got meetings late. That faith made reality is that they go to the grocery store on top of their only other stuff and they get stuff for us. They go to checkout. Then they spend the time to prepare it and they actually even bring it over as the most wonderful Uber Eats I've ever experienced in my entire life. And they linger and I feel guilty because I want to kick you out because I'm so tired. But I linger because I'm so grateful that your faith was made flesh. Or it's when a neighbor who absolutely doesn't know Jesus, who has, has a, a terrible relationship with the church, experiences the same storm in Texas that I experienced, but at my house, the Bradford pear tree fell on my car. And he had the idea that I should go out and maybe help him with that, to bring my chainsaw. Instead of just having that idea and saying, wow, it's six in the morning, I really don't want to get up. But I look outside and I'm going to go into the garage. And he gets his chainsaw. He gets his clothes on. He starts to prepare and she starts cutting up this tree off of my car so that I could go to work on time so that he could be late. It changed me. Or... It's in the season where my father had passed away unexpectedly. Not unexpected, but uh, drastically and quickly. And instead of saying, man, I really want to care for Austin and his family, I really think that would be really great, but it's really expensive to get across the country. It's going to mean I have to take my own personal days off of work. But you know what? It actually matters. And so they purchase the ticket. They call friends and encourage them to come. And then they show up. And they change everything by their presence. Or it's been in the place where someone has this idea of has no clue of who we are and what we're doing. Or they know me as a pastor, but they think like, I can't approach him. Who has this idea that's moved by the Holy Spirit that says, man, maybe we should just go pray for Ashley and Austin. Maybe something's going on in their lives, personal or in their marriage or in their extended family, and they just need prayer. And instead of the million ideas that keep them from crossing the room or crossing the street or driving across town, they actually get in their car. They span the space and the distance, and they come and they lay hands and they pray. And that is how how they pray us through. It changes everything because it gives us the courage to do the thing that God has called us to do, like to drive 2,600 or span 2,600 miles to come to a place where we don't know. This is what it means. This is the type of faith that the world is daring us to live out. 
Because they know a Jesus who has done this, but they wonder if the disciples and followers of Jesus, the princesses of Jesus, will dare to live this way. And not only is the world asking it, but Jesus is inviting you to live the life that he lived imperfectly. And that's what I love. That we will be a place that is full of unfailing love, not perfect love. I promise you. I will stand from this moment right here and say, I might, actually not might, I will let you down. We will hurt each other. But what will define us is unfailing love. When it's easier to walk away, we will walk to, towards each other. Instead of to moving away, we will lean in to one another. That our love will not be perfect, but it will be unfailing. Then when it's easier to walk away, we will be faithful. We will be faithful to who God has called us to be. And that in that unfailing love to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, that it's not we that claim something, but that people put on us, that we who are disciples and followers of Jesus are full of unfailing love and faithfulness. They are full of grace and truth. And they will desire to be around that. Because you know what the reality is? They don't want the idea of Jesus. They want Jesus. They don't like the idea of him. And that's why we're in and have this great opportunity. That we no longer have to profess and convince an idea. But we get to invite people into a relationship to a God who is made flesh that dwells among us. That we get to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We get to be the light of the world in this very present darkness. That when we enter the room where it happens, we bring life. Because the one who is unfailing love, the one who is full of faithfulness, the one who's full of all grace and all truth, his name is Jesus and he resides in you. He dwells among you and within you. I want to introduce the world to this Jesus who's not fake, who's not an invisible reality, but who John said was made flesh. This Jesus is love. Let's meet him. Let's pray. God, as we come and sit still in this place, there is no passivity in you. It was an invitation to participate into a life of following you. God, that I can profess is not easy, but it is better than I ever dared dream or imagine. I've I've seen you do things that are only God moments. They remind me that you are not just something that I believe in my heart, but I get to experience. God, my prayer is that I will never reduce you to an idea. An idea that hopefully gets me a certificate and a pass into heaven. But this text this truth that you are incarnate in this very space, in this very room, 
that you invaded time so that we might see you. Jesus, you said that you had to leave so that you could send someone better, that you could invite us into the mission field to bring the gospel to all the ends of the world, to be light in the darkness. I pray that we'll take that invitation and we'll say yes, that we will say yes, and we will say yes. We ask this in your name.